when I think about my life, my journey with the Lord, I've watched God move in ways that are truly unmistakable. Honestly, I, I, I've, I've thought about this. I, God has moved so clearly in my life that I should really never doubt him again, ever. But if I can just be transparent with you today, um, in spite of watching God move in my life this week, like, like for example, I, I've been praying for a guy for months, months and months. And this week I got to lead him to Christ, um, this week. And, and um, you know, my family, we've been praying for my nephew, and, and last night the adoption papers were signed and my niece and nephew adopted a baby. And it was, we weren't sure, and we were praying, and God, God moved. In spite of all that, in spite of watching the Lord move in my life this week, Kaya's baptism was an answer to prayer. Uh, last week, Trina's baptism uh, was an answer to prayer. In spite of all these things, I found myself doubting this week. Isn't that interesting? That, that, that we, we have a tendency to doubt the Lord and doubt God even after we watch him move. And, but I, I've, I've found myself doing that. And, and Friday night, I thought, you know, uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do a little sermon prep in a, in a different way. So I went to Hobby Lobby, and I, I, I started a little uh, reverse engineering project. And, um, and I, I took a baseball, cut the seam out, uh, and I made one of these. And uh, this is, to me, this is one of those, those, it's a baseball. I mean, if you look at it on my wrist that I wear, you'll go, oh, it's a baseball. And I'll, you'd be right, it's a baseball. But, but to me, it's a reminder of how God so clearly has moved in my life. Because uh, I remember uh, when, um, on, I remember June 3rd, 2002. June 3rd, 2002 was the day that Justin Sullivan died. He was a student in my ministry. And, and I, I, we were devastated. Our church was, I watched their family. I was with them, and they were, they were crushed. They were crushed. Our church was devastated. We were so very sad and, and reeling. And, and Justin was named Baseball Player of the Year for the state of Oklahoma on June 2nd. And then on June 3rd, he was killed. And we were just like, our whole church was, was, was devastated. The community of Yukon, Oklahoma was shocked. Couldn't believe it. And here I found myself in front of my church and community and city and state even, uh, sh preaching Justin's funeral. Very public and all over the news in 2002, on June 3rd, 2002, very public. And it was a time that I, we were so devastated. And after, after Justin died, his grandfather, Benny Bechtel, took all of his practice balls and he made these. And he would... He gave it to people that were close to Justin and, and uh, that were part of his life. And, 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 and then, um, after that, we started the Ambassadors. This is baseball team and Kobe Grell. Kobe, I need you to come up here. Kobe is playing for the Ambassadors this year. And, um, and so, and yeah, I know, it's awesome. Here, I made this for you this week. That's for you. There you go. So, so I went on a reverse engineering uh, journey at Hobby Lobby, and then with the baseball bracelet that Benny Bechtel made, and I thought, I'm going to figure out how to pass this on. 
how to pass on Benny's bracelet, okay? Because uh, this is the bracelet Benny made. And for me, it's a reminder that, God, you're at work in life. You're at work in my life. And you have worked in the world. Because, you know, when you think about this, this story, um, you know, this story that we just heard right there, that we know, this story of David and Goliath, it, it's, it's really not a story about the underdog overcoming the bully. It's not a story about um, if you perform really well under pressure, you can make it if you, you can make it. You can defeat the, the big giants. That's not really the point of the story. And what I don't want us to do today is miss the point of the story because really when you think about that story, it's, it's really a, a message about God's faithfulness, about trusting the Lord. And it's really a story about God's people not trusting the Lord and having courage in the face of the trials of life, that, that's, of not believing the Lord, not taking the Lord at his word. We've got to remember, as we've been in this series in Samuel, the, the, the message is about we, not a me, all right? And, and, and God's people are called to be courageous in the midst of trials in life, in the midst of following the Lord. We're called to be obedient. And courage often falls short among us. Courage is often not our greatest strength. Courage is often something we find lacking among us. Trust in the Lord is something we struggle to do often. Whether it's fear of losing a job or fear of the coronavirus, uh, fear of uh, uh, the stock market. Oh, it's taking a little tumble. Oh, no, Lord, what are we going to do? Don't we trust the Lord, right? Come on. You're really not trusting in your retirement account to provide, right? Come on. God has a bigger one. He's got a bigger nest egg for you. I just, just realized that. Uh, but, but maybe it's a fear of broken relationships or addiction or parenting or whatever. We, we have fears. And, and, you know, I found myself this week struggling to trust the master of this whole place after I've watched him move. And so when you look at the story, we, we see in this story where real courage comes from. And it comes from a trust in the Lord, not a trust in ourselves. Look at verse, verse 1, 1 Samuel 17. Now, now, unfortunately, my life has completely changed this week, so I have to wear some glasses when I read. I think, Maggie, you did this to me. Um, no, I'm just kidding. That's my daughter. Maggie's my daughter. Um, I'm getting older, so i got to wear, wear these now. So just let me. Verse 1. Now the Philistines gathered their armies for battle. And they were gathered at Soko, which belongs to Judah, and camped between Soko and, and Ezekiah. And Saul, verse 2, tells us Saul gathered with the men of Israel, and they, and they were camped there, and they, they took up these battle lines. And verse 3, the Philistines stood on the mountain on one side, and Israel stood on the mountain on the other side, with a valley in between them. And, and there came out from the camp of Philistines a champion named Goliath of Gath, whose heights was six cubits and, and, and a span, and he had a helmet of bronze on his head, and he was armed with a coat of mail. The weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of bronze, and, and he had bronze armor on his legs and a javelin of bronze slung between his shoulders, and the shaft of his spear was like a weaver's beam, and the spear of his head weighed 600 shekels of iron, and his shield bearer went before him. Now, this is that famous champion, Goliath. Goliath is that famous guy 
that we've all heard about. And, and, and you know, in 1 Samuel 17, that's not the first time we've heard of the Philistines. The Philistines have been around for a while, and, and they've been a struggle to, uh, to, the, to the Israelites. And, and when you think about the Philistines, it's interesting because they were one of the first civilizations that started using iron and bronze in warfare. Because you've got to understand the history of the world. Uh, they, were the, the, they were just starting to use these things in battle. And so, the, obviously, the, the Philistines were, were a force to be reckoned with. I mean, I mean basically, the, the, the Israelites, these were guys that were going to their sheds, grabbing their farming tools, coming out for battle. And the Philistines, man, they've got armor on and swords. And, and the, God's people are like, oh, my goodness, that'd be like me going to my garage and finding my shovel and showing up and fighting a Marine that's fully armed. That would not be like, I'd be nervous about that. And, and, and this is what was happening. This is the battle lines that's being drawn. And, and the Philistines are out there. And that's interesting to me. If I was a coach for the Philistines, I'd get these guys together and go, boys, look, they got stinking shovels. You got spears and arrows and, ar- and armor. Go get them. Let's go wipe them out. Why are you, what are you waiting on? Well, if you've been with us in the study of Samuel, what they were waiting on is they were terrified of God. It's interesting, the, the Philistines were more afraid of God than had more respect of God almost like than the Israelites did. You, you know what happened to the Philistines before. I mean, they remembered when they took the Ark of the Covenant. We studied this. We looked at this a couple weeks ago. They took the Ark of the Covenant. Dagon falls over, breaks into pieces, and does this two nights in a row. And then they've got the Ark of the Covenant. And then everybody gets tumors. I mean, the whole land. And they're like, get this thing out of here. We are afraid of the God of the Israelites. And so they concocted this scheme, this little battle plan. They didn't like the Israelites, and they said, let's, let's get this battle plan together. Let's not all go attack them. Let's just get our, our giant, our big guy. We'll get our, our, our post player. They'll get out there, and they'll, let's let him fight, and we'll do a one-on-one, mano-a-mano here. And that's what happened. And, and you know, it's interesting as, as scholars uh, evaluate this. It's, a lot of scholars, they'll, they'll look at this, and critical scholars of the Bible will say, hey, look, the, the Bible has uh, some mistakes in it. You know, the, um, there are some scholars that will say, These, Goliath really wasn't nine foot six. Come on, people. He was six nine. You're like, Okay. That's still pretty big, right? Six nine is still bigger than David. Big, and, and whether, I mean, I think the Bible's true, but, but you know, it's like whether he was six nine or nine six, this is a big dude. And, and I remember one time in a in college pickup basketball game, uh, and I, we got, I lost my cool in my mouth, and I popped off to a six six guy. And and we kind of squared off to each other. And, and, you know, his reach was longer than mine quite a bit. And, and I learned that the hard way. And I learned a couple of things. I ought to watch my mouth when I play basketball. And the second thing, if I'm going to square up with somebody, choose a point guard rather than the post player because that's better. So 6'9", Goliath was big. And he was intimidating to the children of Israel. And it's interesting when you look at this. He stood. Look what he said in verse I don't know what verse it is. There it is, verse 8. And he stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, Why have you come out to draw for battle? Am I not a Philistine and you are servants of Saul? 
Choose a man for yourself and let him come down to me. If he is able to fight with me and kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servants and serve us. And the Philistines said, this is what he said. He should have learned, learned from this. I defy the ranks of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. When Saul and all Israel, this is one of the saddest verses in Scripture. When Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. You, you know, you think about this struggle. The reality of this struggle is disobedience to God. And point number one is very important for us. Disobedience causes continuous conflicts. If you, if you continue to disobey the Lord, especially as a believer, a follower of Christ, you're, you're going to struggle. You know, First Peter 2 talks about your you're destined to stumble if you're disobeying God. Believer or non-believer, the truth is if you disobey God, you're destined to stumble. And this is why I want to recognize and point out the importance of obedience to the Lord. Now, now why, do I, why was it disobedience to, to not deal with the Philistines? Well, turn to Exodus chapter 33. Uh, look at verses 1 and 2, Exodus 33. Really interesting verse. It says this. In Exodus chapter 33, verse 1 and 2, the Lord said to Moses, depart, go up from here, and you and the people whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt to the land which I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying to your offspring, I will give it. I will send an angel before you, and I will drive out the Canaanites, the Amorites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. See, the reality is God had promised the land to God's people. He had promised peace to God's people. But the problem with God's people is they kept disobeying the Lord. They kept following other gods. They kept serving, they, they, they stopped obeying the Lord. And this was a problem. And, and, and the failure here, God's people failed to trust the Lord. And, and this is so often our struggle. You know, then little, little brother David enters the scene, and we see this. He, he was stuck with the sheep. Now, we've looked at this. We've tracked through the book of Samuel. And, and last week, we saw that David was anointed by, by the prophet. Samuel comes, anoints David, and, and his brothers are all there. They see that, and they're obviously not very impressed because after what, what we find the next scene is, all right, David, that's cool. Now go back and run the sheep. Get, get after it. And See you, brothers. The, the brothers are frustrated with him. And, 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 and then David, so he's obeying his dad. He shows up to the battle lines, and he hears this punk, Goliath. And David's like, I'm kind of mad about that. Who's that guy? What's he saying this for? And, and then he, so he asks this question, hey, what do you get if you kill this guy? Because God's already told us that the Philistines are there, we're not to worry about them. So, hey, what do I get if I kill him? And so he finds the spoil. You get, you get riches from the king. Well, that's pretty good. And uh, you get the king's daughter. Well, what does she look like? I want to see. And maybe, I don't know if he said that. I don't, I don't know. No taxes for the family for life. David's like, hey, that sounds, sign me up. I'll do it. And then Eliab, the brother of the year, comes up. You know, Eliab, look at this, verse. Uh, uh, what verse is that? 28. Now Eliab, the eldest brother, heard when he spoke to the men. And Eliab's anger was kindled against David. Do you have an older brother? I called my older brother this morning. 
just to tell him what I thought of him. No, I'm just kidding. I love, I love my older brother. But he used to do that, quit hitting yourself. <laughs> you know, if I have a brother that did that, I hated that. No, he doesn't do it anymore for you. I can tell you that because you're, uh, you're, you're a pretty big boy. Um, but, but, you know, Eliab, he's ticked. Who are you, little brother? What, is he, what are you doing? Go get out of here. Why have you come down, he says. And with whom you have, you, have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? That's a slam, okay, by the way. Um, I know your presumption and the evil of your heart, for you've gone to come down to see the battle. And David said, what have I done now? Was it not but a word? And he turned away from him toward another and spoke in the same way, and the people answered again as before. Now, now you know what I was thinking about this? We need to beware of that. Eliab effect, that, that paralyzing doubt. Because haven't you found, and I've found this, that most of the time when it comes to trusting the Lord, the greatest enemies we have are in our own family and in the church. That sometimes we tend to get onto each other and, and, and the greatest opposition we face sometimes when we serve the Lord is from the inside. We gotta hear that. And, and, and the coward, and this is a conviction that I have, the cowardly people of God are often our greatest protagonists, our greatest obstacles. And I just said to the Lord, Lord, may I never be a cowardly servant of yours. Because the reality is this is God's people and they were cowardly and this is not just new. I mean, this has been around for a long time. Like Hudson Taylor. Have you ever heard of Hudson Taylor? Hudson Taylor was a great missionary. He was actually the first missionary, Southern Baptist missionary to China. And, and on his way to China, he was convicted. God told him, go to China. And so he went and told his church and the people that were around him. And, and you know what the people said in his church, leaders in his church said, hey, you know what, Hudson? If, if Chinese people needed to be saved, God doesn't need you to do it. If God's going to save people in China, he doesn't need you. And he's like, well, okay, I'm still going to go anyway. And he became one of the greatest missionaries to China. And you know what? God's still using that work. Yeah, that, was, that was a long time ago. And right now in China, the church is exploding. And you see incredible work. The people of God should know better than fall into disobedience of doubt. And I felt that today. Lord, look, I've seen you move. I've watched you through this baseball, and now, now Kobe Grail's going to travel all over the, the, the nation through the ambassador baseball team that, that we started after Justin died. And, and, and now, for, for 13 years, baseball players have traveled all over the nation sharing the gospel. And that's what Kobe's going to do. Play really good baseball, because he's really a good catcher. And they're going to share the gospel. I've watched God move. And we should not doubt him. But look, they, they struggle with this. Paralyzing doubt is a struggle. Verse 38, then Saul clothed David. So it progresses. David's like, okay, I want to do it. Saul says, okay, I'm going to clothe you with my armor. He put a bronze helmet on his head and clothed him with a coat of mail. Strapped a sword over his armor and he tried to go in vain. 
verse 39. And, but he said, look, I'm not, I, I've not tested these. So David said to Saul, I, I can't go with these. So, so he put them off. He took a staff in his hand, chose five smooth stones from a brook, put them in a shepherd's pouch with a sling in his hand, and he approached the Philistine. And, and, and you know, when I was at the Museum of the Bible a couple of weeks ago, there was a display in the, in the history part of the museum. And, and they had all these, uh, these weapons of that time period. And, and, and I was looking at these rocks in there, and, and they said, yeah, these are the size of the stones that, that likely David used when he, when he hit Goliath. And I, was, and I always pictured, you know, a little rock. But this was the first time in history when somebody brought a knife to a gunfight, and that's when they learned that's not a good idea because uh, David was like, I'm going to pull out a rock. And, and when I looked at those stones in that, in that display case, it was just a little smaller than a baseball. And I was like, whoa, okay. That would hurt. That would really hurt. And David could get some velocity on that thing. And no wonder he killed the bear. Because at first I thought, man, if I'm going to throw a little rock at a bear, I think I might need a little bit more. But, but these were like, almost like this. And I've watched Kobe throw a baseball, and he can throw one. And, and I can imagine this sling getting some velocity, and then, and it, and Goliath lost badly, it says. It says, the Philistine moved forward. Look at verse 41. Philistine moved forward and came near to David with a shield bearer in front of him. I think it's interesting. When the Philistine looked and saw David, he disdained him. He was, he's like, who is this kid? He's young, he's handsome, he's, he's ruddy in appearance, redheaded probably. I love redheads. Uh, and, he, and he said to David, looked at him, am I a dog? You come to me with sticks? And this is the big mistake. This, this motivated David. And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. And I think David's going, no, there's one God. And he's with me and not with you. And I believe him even if they don't. So I'm coming at you because I believe God. And then it says, incredible. Verse 48, the Philistine arose and came, drew near to meet David. David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet the Philistine. David put his hand in his bag and took out a stone and slung it and struck the Philistine on the forehead. The stone sank into his forehead and he fell with his face on the ground. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone and struck the Philistine and killed him. There was no sword in the hand of David. Then David stood and ran and stood over the Philistine and took the sword and drew out of his sheath and killed him, cut off his head with it. And when the Philistines saw this, their champion was dead. They fled. Now what's amazing about this, what's cool about this, is the hero in the story and we got to recognize this as God, not man. That's point two. The hero in this story, it's God. It's not man. And, and you know, so often we have read this story and we said, you know, I'm kind of like David. But, but you know who we, we don't relate to David in this story. You know who we relate to? The, the people hiding in their tents. You see, because here's the reality. The battle, this is the Lord's battle against man-made gods of this world. The gods of this world. Well, who is the God of this world? Satan, sin, 
and death. And see, no matter how good we are, none of us can win that battle. So you know who the picture of David is here? It's it's a picture of Jesus, not us. You see, because we are in need of a representative in this battle against Satan, against sin, against death. We, we all need a representative because when we face that kind of foe, we have no answers. And I, we see, I've seen this. As I look at just even my position that I have taken so often over the last nine weeks, 10 weeks in, the, in our church, as we have had 18 funerals in our church, in, the la- in, this, in my life, in this community in the last 10 weeks. And I've watched people face that reality. And there's some that, that are like, oh my goodness, what am I going to do when that's me? And let me tell you something, without a representative, there's no hope for us. But see, God came. God entered human history. And, and, and that, that focal point of, in the world, the Jesus' time on the earth is the focal point of human history. Because God came into this world and he, and he was a representative for us. And, and it's interesting because the people that were seeing Jesus said, you know, are you coming to defeat, to defeat the Romans? And he's like, no, there's a greater enemy. Satan, sin, and death. And you know, when I look at this amazing story in Scripture, Jesus was the only one that was able to run onto that battlefield and defeat that enemy. You can't defeat him. I can't defeat him. And it reminds me of this important truth that we see in Ephesians 6, verse 12. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but it's against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. And see, this is the, the, the reality of life, that, that we are in need of a representative. So what I don't want us to do is make the mistake of looking at this old story that we all know that lost and saved people, people that don't ever go to church, that, that, that maybe have never been to church, still are familiar with the story of David and Goliath. We hear it all the time. But none of us are David. Jesus was David for us. He was our representative. And see, here's what we need to see today, that the cross, point three is this, the cross and resurrection produces a win over every small giant in our lives. And when I think about the the times even this week in my life, which, you know, I'm Maybe I shouldn't tell you that I doubt, but I'm just going to be honest with you. When I come to preach, I'm not talking at you. We're sitting together, and the Holy Spirit is our teacher. And so I've just decided to be a pastor that's just honest about my own doubts sometimes, my own fears sometimes. I don't have it all together. But you know what? There are times when I'm facing my doubts, I stop, and I remember the master of this whole place, that you see me. You have moved in my life. And this is just a baseball bracelet, but it reminds me, God, I've watched you move. I should trust you. I shouldn't doubt you. 
So I won't. And I won't live in fear. And I won't be a cowardly believer. I won't be quiet about my faith. I'll take my walk with you seriously. I'll turn my face to you. I'll surrender my will to you. When you look at the David and Goliath, there are really two lessons that I see. That because Jesus took out the real giant, we can face those other giants. And that's a lesson I see. I, I, that through this story, God shows us how to overcome challenges. And that begins with believing God. Believing God, you know what you're doing more than I know what I'm doing. And I've found that as I've trusted the Lord, there's hope in life. There, there's hope in this life. And you can live on this planet with hope in God and trust in the Lord. That you can, you can trust that there's courage in this daily grind that we find ourselves in at times. Because I know, I don't know about you, but life is not always a moment where I take victory laps. You know, um, we celebrate those people that win the state championship or the national championship and the heroes and all those things, but you know what? Most of us lose. Most of us stumble and struggle, and most of us struggle with doubts. But, but I want you to know there's, there's, in this daily grind of life, we can have courage in the Lord. We can trust in the Lord. Even when we're grieving, even when we're sad, even when we're confused, even when we get those phone calls that are tough. The miracle of following Jesus is that he walks us through chaos in life. Not that he prevents chaos from coming because life is just chaotic. This world will have chaos. Well, you don't have to look very far to see that. But the miracle of God is that he is with us in the midst of chaos. There's hope in life. There's, there's courage in the grind. There's no fear in death. You don't have to fear death itself. And you know, when I think about how God has worked in, in the world and how Satan is not omniscient, he doesn't know everything, and so he's getting information as it goes along. And, and there are many moments that the evil authorities in the world look at God and go, crud, this isn't working out for me because he's been defeated. And, and as I think about this beautiful passage in 1 Corinthians 15, when the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin. The power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. So, as, it, as we have an invitation, my question is this. Have you taken your eyes off the master of this whole place? Do you see him? Remember Romans 8, 31? If God is for us, who can be against us? You know, you know it's interesting. As, as, as I read this story to my son, and my, I remember when Eric was in third grade, and he's in college now, but when he was in third grade, I, I was like, I want to read him this story. And I was reading the story of David and Goliath, and, and I got to that part. He cut off his head, Eric, and he, and he put it on a stick, and he carried it around. And Eric was like, 
All he said was, Dad, that was kind of gross. And as a, you know, I'm a pa- I was going to be a, a pastor. I'm going to tell him something insightful. And I just said, yeah, it was. Let's pray, son, and go to bed. And, then, and so, but you know what I want us to see is not the miracle of you being David and you can perform well. No, it's that you have a representative you know, what, you know what Genesis 3 says? Jesus said, or God said, when Satan tempted Eve, he said, I'm going to crush your head. This, this example in David, he cuts off Goliath's head. That's what he's going to do to Satan. Don't follow the enemy, follow Christ. Trust the master of this whole place. Kaya showed you an example of following the Lord. Follow him. One of my friends that I've been praying for, I looked him in the eye in my office this, this week and said, it's time. And he's been coming to church. He's been in this auditorium putting it off. And Thursday, it's time. Maybe today for you, it's time. It's time to come to Jesus. Maybe for you, you're, you're doubting. Oh, look at the master of this whole place. Look at the master. Trust him.